Welcome to the Untoxicated Podcast. <laughs> well, I'm Sherry Salis, and that was my husband, Matt. We have questions about the impact of alcohol and addiction on relationships. If you have those kinds of questions, too, you're in the right place. Here we go. Thank you for listening to the Untoxicated Podcast. We are coming to you from the foothills of the Rocky Mountains, just outside of Denver. We are here with the wonderful participants in our third Marriage Evolution Retreat. Welcome, everybody. Nice to have you here. Hi. 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 Yay. We didn't even rehearse that. You guys did great. We are spontaneous. I know. We've been, you know, I always, when we have one of these roundtable episodes, there are 10 people sitting around this table, so lots of voices to be heard today. I often, when we've had a retreat, I like to share a little something that we've done on the retreat as just kind of, I don't know, to put listeners in the mood and the mindset of what we've been up to. And I don't even know how to explain what we just finished doing. One of the people on the retreat with us is a deputized coroner slash in the mortuary business. And he's been working on his stand-up routine telling us <laughs> stories. <laughs> and they have been unbelievably entertaining. And so we're glad to have you with us, Alan. Thank you for being here. Um, so, yeah, I, I wanted to share that as a kind of whistle wetter. If you're thinking, gosh, they do these roundtable episodes. How do I get on one of these roundtable episodes? Well, if you, if you join our groups, our shop sobriety group, for people concerned about their drinking, their moving towards sobriety or are in early sobriety, or if you join our Echoes of Recovery group for the loved ones of alcoholics, why, you'll get an invitation to our retreats like this one. So uh, we would love to have more people experience this together time, a little uh, four-day, three-night weekend in the Rocky Mountains. So check out uh, our programs and consider joining us. Today, I want to start with a story, Sherry. You know this story. You know the person, but I'm not going to say his name. This is somebody you and I went to college with. And he had a little something called the slingshot theory. Do you remember the slingshot theory? Mm. I don't even want to say his first name because I don't. Yeah, vaguely. Is he the, the slingshot theory was we were all in the same fraternity, and if if it was Friday night and you had to work your part time job or you had a, a late test on a Friday and you showed up to the party late and everyone's already been going for a couple of hours, instead of just having a couple of beers and kind of easing your way in, you'd be like, man, all these people are way ahead of me. So you'd start doing shots. Yeah. And, and my friend's slingshot theory was, you're only there for 45 minutes and you're the drunkest person in the room. How did that happen? <laughs> but you go whipping right past everybody. So did he watch you do this and that's how he came up with the there slingshot? Is, is he also the same guy that had the smart idiot theory? Yes. After, the smart idiot theory you. was directly yeah. about me. But the slingshot theory, I was not the sole uh, example of the slingshot theory. In fact, has any, does that ring a bell with any of our former drinkers around the table? Well, seen let's that see. I <laughs> see nodding heads of the partners of the drinkers. So. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe y'all yes, didn't. That seems a little familiar. The drinkers yeah. don't yeah. seem to remember. Weird. <laughs> the slingshot theory is definitely something that has to be explained to you later because in the moment, your memory uh, turns out to be a little foggy. But the same holds true, I think for the kinds of issues that we've been talking about in conversation here during our retreat weekend. And I think we talked a little bit about this yesterday, but 
if you don't have something traumatic happen in your relationship, and certainly I think addiction to alcohol and then recovering from that addiction counts as trauma, if you haven't had that kind of experience, you can go through your married adult life just kind of in ho-hum fashion with communication issues, with trust issues, with just, you know stress about parenting, stress about job. You've got all this stuff weighing you down, and you really don't have any impetus to address it. And so you lead kind of a mediocrely miserable life. And I am a believer that it's a real blessing to us that we've been through this traumatic thing because it's forced us to take a look at who we are as individuals and who we are as couples and roll up our sleeves and get to work. And so I commend you all for taking the time to be here. We've done a little bit of serious conversing, but we've also done a lot of fun having and just being in a environment with a bunch of other couples where there's that's not alcohol centric which is kind of hard to come by and i've had a whale of a good time and i hope you guys have too got some more uh some more alan stories to hear after we're done recording but it's been a lot of fun so far so so the slingshot theory as it applies to relationship recovery is i'm confident sherry what do you think i think we would have gone to our grave kind of liking each other sometime and not liking each other other time and um, it would have been kind of a mediocre existence, but we've been forced to work on it, and it's much, much better. Absolutely. I, I do think that. I think that it would have, if I hadn't gotten the recovery I needed, I wouldn't have dealt with some of the crap from my past. And then I also feel like I would have just lived in a state of, like, anger um, and resentment because we wouldn't have been in a comfortable space to talk about those, and I wouldn't have had the confidence to bring them up and, and recognize how important they were to kind of hash out so yeah that's great well let's get everybody else in on this conversation the the kind of general theme that we want to talk about is mutual respect as it relates to that individual recovery and relationship recovery i'm a big believer and sherry is too that relationship recovery has really two prerequisites the one obvious one is sobriety but as we've said over and over sobriety doesn't actually fix anything it is just something that has to happen before the fixing can start. But the other big one is that individual recovery piece. We have to work on ourselves, and, and it's all about self-esteem building. And once we've gotten a chance to go down that path, we start to get in healthy as individuals, then we can start to get individual as couples. Does anyone want to address that? Who, who wants to talk a little bit about your individual recovery and maybe um, challenges you faced or or whether you even thought you needed to do that. Anyone want to jump in first? No? Everyone just waiting for Alan to tell more, <laughs> more stories? Yeah, I'll, I'll go, uh, Matt. So for me, um, I, I really thought if I could just have a little bit of sobriety, three, four, five days, or <clears> ten, <throat> or a month, um, then, Mindy, then Mindy and I could work on on us um but it was never ever going to identify the root cause the root problem and that was uh, sustained sobriety until i had to until i knew that it was um that it was a problem so once i i hate to say it where i put the sobriety before everything else um my relationship with our kids with, with mindy um that it was the most important thing. Um, once I focused on that, that individual piece of my recovery 
that sobriety was paramount <clears throat> to everything else. Um, then, then slowly, thank goodness, we had a, a we were, we were both working on one another. Um, and, and I, I wasn't, I was trying to contain myself of something that I might've learned through shout or through something that I read and I didn't feel so compelled to share it with Mindy until I could have a little bit of more sustained, uh, uh sobriety. And uh, so she could kind of, uh, work on herself. And while I was working on me, I was in, at the very least at the bare minimum, I was giving Mindy just a moment to breathe. Uh, without me constantly bombarding her with some great pearl that I had just learned, uh, or look at me, or um, here I got ten days, um, wait for the ticker tape parade. Uh, she needed just some time to heal for herself. So it was um, it worked concurrently at the same time, but I don't see how it could have worked any other way. That it could have been we we we, we couldn't have uh, worked on ourselves if I wasn't working on me first, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I'm interested in what Rochelle thinks about this um, because I remember, and I'll I'll be the first to admit, my drinking caused a lot of problems in in our marriage, so I'm not retracting from that at all, but I remember a statement I would often hear is, if you would just stop drinking, like all of our problems are from your drinking. If you would stop drinking, we wouldn't have any problems. Um, and then if that were true and like, I never could say anything because I could never stop drinking. So it was kind of like, that's as far as that conversation went. It's like, okay, I don't know if you're right or if you're wrong, but we're, I guess we're not going to find out, um, until now, you know? So it's now I've got a little bit of sobriety going on and, and we still have the problems. Mm -hmm. So we're a little bit newer than a lot of the other people here, but, um, I haven't heard that statement in the last several months, so I was curious what where your thoughts were with that, Rochelle. Um, I really, I don't know yet. We are so new into this. We have over twenty years of addiction. Mm-hmm. We don't have like much time with sobriety, so I really, I don't know how to navigate that yet, and what I need, honestly. That, but that feeling that. Because that's so common. If you would just get sober, it would fix anything. You you thought that, and now you don't think that anymore. There's there's got to be more. Well, I think that, she's right? still actually waiting to see. Also, are you sober? I'm are so you real? It, is or is this just some yeah. more bullshit that I'm just waiting to find out? Yeah. You know, well, we've been through this so many times. Where look, I'm sober here, and the, you know it's been a few days, and then. It's back to finding something that was hidden mm-hmm. that I didn't know about. Some weird, obscure, like, drug or way to hide alcohol or use alcohol or drugs. So I'm still at the point where I really don't know what to think. And even though it's been an extended period from where how long that usually takes to happen, it's happened so many times where that that's where I think our struggle is. Because I, yeah. I, mean, I don't know where that... What is it? Is it two years? Is it five years? You know, before that thinking starts to change to where she might start actually thinking okay maybe he is maybe this is he's serious Randy is it two years or is it five years I think there's no magic number I think the biggest key is the working on yourself and her working on herself and her knowing that it's okay to not know because for the first year year and a half that would have been my answer I don't know I don't know and that it was always a question 
is what is it going to take? What, what, I need a timeline. Always wanted a timeline. I don't know. I don't have one. And that's okay. And sometimes it sucks, but you have to stay very firm in the, I don't know, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. He didn't like to hear it. Yeah, I had I'm to sure. just, like, get a sense of a feeling, and I had to see things that mm-hmm. Matt was doing. Like, that first year, I was like, I, you know, you can do whatever. And I was just holding out because he had had six months of sobriety a couple times, mm-hmm. nine months of sobriety once, and we had done this for, you know, many, many years of addiction, <laughs> active addiction, with years of abuse of alcohol. And... So I, it got to be like I was closed off and detached, like emotionally. But then I also had to start like there were just things I could see in Matt that were making differences, and I wouldn't immediately have a ticker tape parade because I saw something different. I would, but I would remember that, and it would go in the back of my mind, and I would see his reaction, and I would see him becoming more calmer and less anxious, and it, it just was it was a feeling. So then that's why I was really pissed when I realized, oh, well, now I have to get help. Did you have a hesitancy to work on yourself yes. before you thought Matt, before you I knew wasn't going to was do serious? anything until I felt like I had like a sense that this was going to stick. And then when he so Matt's, Matt's out, recovery played a big role in you even be wanting yes. to begin. Yeah, because own. I had been through this before. And so when, when Matt had been sober for a year and then wrote this coming out letter, I was like, well, there's no going back now. I mean, not everybody has to do that, but that sort of public statement, and I mean, you know, I, I in the back of my head, kept thinking, oh, God, you know, there's going to be so many people like, yeah, we knew it, yeah, and nobody, nobody came forward and said that, you know, they all thought he was this, people who went to the Indy 500. Well, yeah, because they had seen you up and down of sobriety, <laughs> the, yeah. you know, and you had told them, we had some friends that we had told, like, you know, I think I'm an alcoholic, and so they had seen you um, deal with bouts of sobriety, but yeah, I had, and I was, I held out, I wanted to make sure, and also, in the back of my mind, I knew that our marriage was in trouble, and it wasn't just alcohol and sobriety, but I needed to see a lot of work from him before I was like, you know, I'm going to need help, I mean, in hindsight, I would tell everybody to go get help, whether you think the marriage is going to last or not, because you're going to carry a bunch of this shit into your new relationships, or you don't even know what, what behaviors you brought in that may be escalated situations, not their addiction, but escalated situations and your behavior patterns that you needed to change. So, yeah, so then I was, like, sitting there raking the leaves one day, and we got into an argument over whether we were going to use a plastic bag or the paper bags from Ace, and I was just so fucking pissed. Can you guys like, imagine anything like that? I, I lost my <laughs> shit never in the front yard in front of the kids, ever. and then I was like, I have to get help. I am so angry. I am so angry and upset and hurt. Because, I mean, I was still feeling all the same way, even though I had a lot of confidence that sobriety was going to last this time. It doesn't just go away. It did not go away, and I needed to really, like, get work on myself. I think a lot of it, too, has to be, like, the bad times have to be canceled out by building trust. Exactly. And that's what we did after after I got work done and we were working on it. We were replacing bad memories with good memories. I mean, we didn't have to go back and visit the same places where we had bad encounters, but we had to, like, build new... Experiences, new good, new good memories, and have that. But yeah, it just it, and it was like this feeling. So there is no timeline. It's just a sense, and it's how much is he working, you know, in in Matt's sobriety, and how much I was seeing, and the fact that he was like not sharing with me this time. I was like, something is completely different. He is not needing 
me to know everything he's doing. And so I, and maybe that was the sign that you realized you had to do it for yourself. You didn't do it for me. You didn't do it for the kids. You didn't do it for the family. You didn't do it for anybody but yourself because you knew it was killing you, yeah. essentially. So I think y'all touched on some of the things that I wanted to talk about, but the trust and the safety, like that's huge. For me personally, I don't think I could have just rushed into working on myself because I actually was doing counseling early on, like right at the beginning of his sobriety. And it was like a brick wall because I didn't have him to rely on. I didn't have a safe place at home. I didn't have that trust. So it actually created more chaos for me. It was a lot harder. So I think that you have to have that security at home, but also it kind of depends on what what you need to work on. If you have baggage that you're bringing in that you need to work on, then, you know, maybe you need to do that now. Maybe you need to do that later. You only know that. If it's just the shit from the relationship, then you have to know what you have at home, like how secure you feel, how safe you feel, um, so that you know you can work on those things. If you're working on it at the therapist office and then you go home into chaos, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. So you I, no peace. well, I, I'd like to add to that too. It's, it, I mean, it's there was a long time in early sobriety I couldn't see that because there was, like, say for example, in early sobriety month two in, and I can't I can't think of a particular example, but you know we'd have a good what I thought was a good weekend, but there were so many bad memories from before that were stacked on top of that, and we still weren't in a place. She was just at a place where she was just trying to. Survive. survive basically and I would try to do everything right and, and think everything was good and boy I'm going to get brownie points for this and brownie points for that but there were so many bad memories in the past that those things weren't even registering it just takes it takes so many good good things on top of good things on top of good things and being consistent and just doing the right things and working on like for me, it was just it was just a daily struggle, day by day by day by day, and it was just it got really monotonous after a while, and, and uh, it was hard. I got really frustrated for a long time, but uh, I look back on it now. It was all for a reason, you know. It, it it all worked out, but it it's hard, and it's it's uh, that that's that's my biggest suggestion is just work on yourself as much as you can. You have to find avenues to. Just take your mind off of it, whether it's a podcast, whether it's reading a book, whether it's exercise, whether it's, I mean, I like to hunt and fish. If you, you know, just, just whatever it is that you can find to take your mind off of it and, and just better yourself. Josh, you and Brandy were at this retreat last year and we recorded a podcast last year, almost exactly a year ago, a year and a few weeks ago. And I haven't, we've been together all weekend and I haven't actually said this to you guys but the difference in you guys as individuals and as a relationship, I mean, it's night and day. And I wouldn't betray your trust to, to say anything specific on the, the podcast. But um, it's, I mean, it's, it's kind of remarkable how much more comfortable you both seem to be around each other. And so when you talk about the power of time, it's not milestones. It's not you got to check this thing off your list. You got to get to this place. It just, it just happens. And um you know, it evolves. Would you agree that that's well, a... Well, I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up because I remember when we left here and I felt like we had a great time. Oh, yeah. And we had a great time together. But I was still in that mindset, kind of that probably drinker's mindset that, 
oh, hey, we had a good weekend. We went to this retreat. We're working on our marriage, you know. We're going to get home and everything's going to be roses. Yeah, yeah. What was it? Yeah. <laughs> you know, we kind of got home and it went right back to, you know, where we were, you know. And, and probably a lot of it was my fault, you know. But it just, it wasn't time yet, yeah. you know. We still needed to stack good memories on top of, top of good memories, you know. Yeah. And uh, continue to work. Yeah. And that's, there's, that's what we've done. There's just no way to replace time and effort. Yeah. And there's no certain amount. There's no magic number. But there's there's no shortcut. Well, It sucks. It, but there's no shortcut. It, and when they've been drinking that long, the brain's been hijacked. Mm-hmm. It's not going to get better in a month. You know, I can see a big difference at, at a year last year. And now at two years, he's... The person he used to be in all the good ways, you know, and you can't change that. I think the physiology of that, you're stuck with that. Uh, and him learning to live with, okay, this is how my brain functions, you know, I'm going to pay attention to this now. And as far as working on recovery, I didn't have a therapist, you know, I found Echoes, that was my recovery because you could just say everything that was happening. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, I gotcha. Yeah, we've been there. I, I was so shocked, you know, because you keep this in the secrets and in the dark corners of your home. And here's, uh, like, when I went to the first Echoes retreat, I'm like, oh, my gosh, look at all these smart women. Like, wow, this is a great place to be. You know, and then coming to these marriage retreats, like, wow, look at all these smart men. You know, look at all these smart people in the room. These are smart, talented people that our lives got hijacked. And I said it last night, no, I mean, yes, I wish we didn't go through the hell we went through. I would not have the life I have if we hadn't had this horrible journey. And I I just have to believe this is what the path we were meant for. And it was put in front of us to say, you either go this way or that way. And... I worked on myself individually through Echoes that I knew that if he didn't become the kind of person I wanted to still be with, that I was going to be okay because I couldn't control him anymore. I could give him a thousand rules that wasn't going to matter and that I had to let Tom be Tom. The things that I may want him to do my way sometimes don't matter, Um, but I had to recover to be able to let Tom be Tom. So. And you have to learn to respect yeah. Tom and his recovery and you know, and respect yourself because I think we, as the partners of alcoholic, we are hijacked by alcohol in a different way. Our emotions are taken over. We change because of the addiction. And I also learned that I had to respect myself enough to say these are the things I need in the relationship and Matt and I could listen to what Matt needed in the relationship and we could work on it together and then... Like you said, if it wasn't going to work out, you knew you were both in better, stronger places to, to make that decision and if you needed to separate. but And we still went to a horribly dark place at 18 months. That I was on the phone at 1 o'clock in the morning with someone else going, oh my God, what do we do? And it had nothing to do with alcohol, you know. But it was someone I found in Echoes, you know, that got me through it that night. Because it's like, I'm either going to blow my whole evening sky high and create a ginormous fight like I used to or I have to find a way to get through this and 
I couldn't have done that yeah. had I not found my own support. And we found a therapist that really is an ally for both of us, even though it's his therapist. She really is an ally for our relationship. And she does that fine dance of, you know, not picking sides when I'm in there. She's, you know, the exception to, okay, I'm willing to talk to him and I'm willing to let you come in at times too. And she's done a really good job. Did you feel like you had your starting your recovery sort of was dependent somewhat uh, like on how serious you thought Tom was? Or were you to a point where it was like Tom could do whatever he wants? I I was to a point Tom could do whatever he wants. I found echoes before he got sober. Um, I was so angry that my life was imploding. So you started your recovery before Tom? Yes. Okay. That's interesting. Avia, you've been with us in Echoes for some time now. How did you, what, what was the epiphany like for you to realize you needed support? Was, did you stumble on Echoes or were you like searching for something? What, what was it like for you at the beginning? Um, I think I just realized that some, I know I had never talked to anybody about any of it. And so I just realized at one point that I had to have support and it was just kind of like an explosion, you know, like I went from this extreme to this extreme. And so I can't actually remember how I found Echoes, but, um, well, the podcast for sure. But, um, and then I, I just had a couple of close friends that I told and uh, my dad that I told. And so I just kind of went from no one ever knew anything to, you know, I had to have a, a trusted group. A lot of people talk about that, like, they're afraid, almost afraid to open the floodgates because they're not, not sure they can get them closed back again. When you first joined us, was there relief? How did it feel to find people you could talk to? Well, I, it was kind of like Mindy. I was like, wow, these, these women are so smart. I mean, the first call I was on, that was my, my first um, impression. And it was just, I don't know what, what I expected, but it was just so refreshing just to be talking to just these really smart you know, women who were dealing with the same thing. And then I just didn't feel that level of, you know, craziness. But that's the biggest relief I remember feeling. No, I'm not, mm. I'm not, you know, crazy for these. Did, did you tell Alan that you had joined a, an online support group right away or early on? I think he knew. I think because I, I think he'd started listening to the podcast also. I think well, I told you. I'm pretty sure. Alan, give us the perspective from the side of the former drinker what was it like when she did that? Did, were you like, what are you getting help for? I'm the, I was the drinker. What would you think of all of this stuff? Honestly, I kind of, <clears throat> I think the, the initial emotions that I, that I felt with, felt like uh, she was kind of conspiracy against me, to be honest with you. Yeah, <clears throat> elaborate. Well, I'm just, I'm just like, well, you can talk to everybody else about that, but you can't talk to me about mm. it. It's my problem or our problem. <clears throat> you know, and of course, I want to blame my drinking on <clears throat> the relationship, which there might be some truth to that, you know, but um, we had relationship problems before I entered that addictive state. Um, we didn't we didn't meet in a bar. We we met in the church quite much differently. But um, but regardless, we got there. And and so, yeah, at, at that point, I I just felt like. Okay, uh, how's this gonna work out? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I remember like Matt would always say to me like in the relationship like, 
we are each other's confidant. You can talk to me about anything. And then, you know, and then we would try to address problems during these drinking days and even like pre-addiction days. And you'd be like, you've got to talk to me. you got to talk to me. And I'm like, but you're the problem right now. Like, I can't share with you because I'm still trying to figure out why I'm so angry with you, why I'm so, like, disappointed in, like, the drinking, even though it... He would always say, you know, it's not out of hand. I'm doing what other people do. And I was like, it just felt so wrong. And I didn't know how to, if I couldn't, like, put my finger on it and explain the problem, how could I talk to him about it? So, like, when ABA, you said, you found this group of people that were so intelligent and that you they were so relatable, you felt, like, a sense of peace. It I felt bet. very safe and, yeah. very, and a lot of clarity. Yeah. And that's how I felt when we started the group and, and we started having people. I was like, oh, my God, these are my people. Like, Because you can say anything and, and somebody is going to be like, oh, I resonate with that or that happened. And, you know, you don't even have to explain the scenarios half the time. And we're like, we understand. We know what you mm-hmm. mean. Even though I can't put words to some of my feelings. And so I'm like, but how could I talk to Matt about this? How could I explain what was going on when I couldn't even explain it to myself or to anybody else? Tom, I'd love for you to react to what Alan said in, in this context. We, we joke all the time about how Mindy and Sherry are two peas in a pod. Um, tell a little inside joke. We, we say you two are a different kind of nice <laughs> to laugh about. But so, so, Tom, Mindy's getting heavily involved in Echoes. It's becoming an important part of her life. Was there any part of you that was like, Hey, why can't you talk to me about this stuff? Why do you got to have these people? Or were, you, or were you happy that she found someone to talk to? <clears throat> Not really. The, t- um, the timing of Mindy and I working on each other um, and taking it really serious um, started uh, two years ago. Mindy had started working on herself three, four, five months before that. And I was really still struggling. So like, like Alan... Um, I thought I thought the same thing, not in as much as why can't we talk to one another about this? It was it was, and I I'm not I'm not naive. I know I said uh, hurtful things to Mindy about echoes and this new coven of friends and this this whatever <laughs> something. Sorry, Tom. Um, Disciple, your husband the, the disciple of Matt group and <laughs> so I was so clearly I, I wasn't healthy and there was um, for sure there was a lot of uh, and, and there was you laugh a, a little bit but it was true I said those ridiculous things oh I know we know we have kids. we have husbands that hate him but but make no mistake there is a part of me that is genuinely frightened of um, you know maybe some more truth coming out uh, or uh, for lack of a better word that you know he's me is is never going to get better and, and, and I didn't know um, the, the, I didn't know the, the, the women so the things that you're afraid of are the things that you don't know so I have no idea what uh, the women that she clinged to and loved so much within Echoes you know, I didn't know if they were coming from a, a mean, vindictive place. My, you know, well, my, 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 me and my partner, we didn't 
he never got sober, and, was, and then Mindy thinking, well, yeah, this is going to be my this is going to be my fate too, and it's confirmed every Wednesday. And so that was a little bit of uh, fear and apprehension, and and then and then once I started working on myself, I became relatively um, indifferent on how her recovery was going because my whole focus was just on myself. It's exactly like what Brandy said. Trust me, if there was someone that said, hey, you get through, you get into July sober, everything's going to be great. And that just, it just wasn't the case. There's no definitive timeline. But fortunately, within the safety net of, of, of Echoes and clearly within Shout and the friends that I have within Shout, um, that we could kind of just work on one another and then there wasn't a whole lot of pressure. But I had that exact same reaction that, that Alan had um, Probably, perhaps maybe more dramatic or more <laughs> sky is falling <laughs> over it. But I had that exact same thought because we weren't uh, at that place. She found Echoes first. She found it and then she found Shout. For all I know, she might have found Shout before Echoes, but regardless, it was a safe place for her. And thank goodness. I, I don't know of many relationship topics where indifference is actually a positive <laughs> word, but that was your word choice a minute ago. Mm-hmm. And I think it's perfect. Because that allowed you to, I'm look. I'm in my lane. I'm doing my thing. You do you over there, and I'm not going to worry about what that is. And that's exactly what has to take place. Well, for me, and I don't want to hijack the whole conversation at the roundtable, but for me, and I asked within early on within shout, can I do this uh, for my family? And, and 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 the answer was, and maybe initially, but no, you have to do it yeah. for yourself. And then the whole cycle of how can I not, I got three kids. I mean, how can I not be strong enough? And what is wrong with me that um, I can't go? And trust me, I couldn't. I tried and I thought I have a problem with this and I need help. And it's not that she's right and I'm wrong. I knew I had a problem. But had I gone through this whole thing of if I do this for three months for my middle daughter or for our, our youngest or for our oldest that they don't have to live through it. I knew I would have just kept setting myself up for failure, for shame, for who knows what. And until so I had to just say, I hope that when this all, when the dust settles, hopefully we can all have some sort of reconciliation and love one another like we used to. But until then, I've, I hate it doesn't come across bad. I, I almost got to where Mindy's got tired of me. I don't care. What happens to you and I? I, I, I really don't. I got, I got to figure this out. In the case of Tom, you and Mindy, Mindy, we met Mindy first. We met Avia first. Rochelle, I have a question for you. We met David, and he starts inviting you to the joint calls that we have. What was that like for you when you're when you're in this position where you're you're very much in wait and see mode? I don't, I don't trust anything. I don't know what's going to happen. Were you eager to get on a get in the Zoom box and hear what everybody else had to say, or were you reluctant? What was that like for you? No, I think I was eager because it made me feel like we weren't alone. Hearing from all the other couples, they went through the exact same things we did, so I really liked doing it. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Awesome. Um, does anyone want to react to... Were there things that you saw, I want to play off Tom's indifference word, were there things that you saw your partner doing in recovery that either uh, made you hopeful or made you reluctant? Did anybody see anything that you, even though you know, you're trying to stay in your own lane, but did you, 
witness something and go, okay, that's a good sign, or, oh shit, that's a bad sign. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll react to that, Matt. Please, Alan. <clears throat> the, um, the, <clears throat> the thing that, uh, at least initially, really set the fear mode in me was when I saw her start to get independent. And not, she didn't need me. And I'm, you know, after 20 some years, you don't need me. This, this is a real problem Ooh. for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, I, don't, I don't know how else to, I don't know how else you peel that to potato. That, I mean, you, you know, you're so intertwined for so long. Um, and then all of a sudden, it just, you know, whatever I did didn't seem to matter, make a difference or whatever. That, that's a pretty hard ego shot. When you hear people talk about the importance of individual recovery for self-esteem building, mm-hmm. is there any part of you that says, now, that says, oh, she didn't need me, and that's a good thing. Maybe she'll like me and want to be with me. Maybe needing me isn't what it's cracked up to be. That's kind of a, that's kind of a leading question. I'm basically asking you to nod your head. That's a terrible <laughs> question. Yeah, I was like, are you going to stop? <laughs> If you don't, then I'm basically telling you you're doing it wrong. wrong. I'm sorry. So you want her not to need you, but you want her to choose you. That's what you're saying. Oh, Matt, you're funny. Yeah, I I mean, it. It. it, Quite honestly, it's pretty confusing to be honest with you. I mean, there, there's so much, um, so much that goes on when you still live together. You're still. I use the term loosely a partnership because I'm really not so sure that we were still a partnership. But because um, the truth is we were going separate ways, even though we still lived in the same house. Um, yeah, so you see some body language that maybe it tells you, you know, okay, this is going to be all right. Um, and then tomorrow there's there's a bad day and it tells you something different. And you're like, all right, what the hell is it? One way or the other, you know? And <clears throat> and that's where the, the individual work on myself really really came into play. And um, I I took right from the get-go a, a bit of a three- or four-pronged approach <clears throat> when I started. Um, part of that was because I had listened, I think, well, within two or three months, I started at the very first podcast, and I was Matt, you put out, and I wasn't going to listen to. I was going to listen to all of them, and I just went straight through them. And some of them I went back and listened to more than once. Were you listening to them because you were hoping I'd say our address, so you could come and kill me? Um, you know, there, you, there were you, times. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> there were times. Um, but, but, but the, you know, the point is, I by the time I actually got to where. I was getting serious about, about you know, straightening my ass out. Um, I already knew that, you know, she she needed she she needed what she had to work on. I already knew that I had to work on myself. I already, you know, so because it was all out there. I may not have agreed with everything, but but I knew it needed to happen. And so, um, you know, I started at my primary care physician and. You know, we addressed the physical body, and 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 I, I had the podcast in my back hip, and so every time I was on the road, I my, you know, my day is pretty windshield heavy, and so it was. It started with your podcast, and now I listen to a whole bunch of other ones. 
um, different different things. Some of it pertains, some of it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I just started doing nothing but going to work, uh, and on my way to work, I just filled it with stuff that would try to help me figure out what the hell was going on with myself. You know, um, yeah, I hopped in and got a therapist, and I still have him today. Been with him about a year. Um, we started working on my thinking. You know, um, I started. We started talking about attachment theory. You know, it, you know, and and the different things that I brought from my childhood into our relationship um, really had nothing to do with alcohol, but it certainly played a part in in the magnification that alcohol did. Uh, you know, to to help destroy the whole the whole thing. Um, so, um, just to, just to, I wasn't going to leave anything on the table. It, it, it was all coming out and it didn't matter what, if I needed to hop on a plane and go across country to find somebody better, I was going to do that. And, and I, I just looked for everything I could to use to, to, to help that out. And it's just find somebody a, better in the way of a resource. Yeah. You don't, you don't mean you're going to replace Amy. <laughs> Well, no, I wasn't talking about that, but, um, there, no, I, no, 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 don't, I knew don't read into that. Sorry. I mean, in terms of, in terms of people to help me get through my situation, I, it, I didn't care what it took. I was going to, you know, and if I ran across something, I mean, I went down so many rabbit holes. I had myself bipolar. I had my, I had myself with all kinds of problems. And I went down every rabbit hole. I exhausted everything. Um, and then we went down to the basics of, of again, back to how, how I think, you know. And I, I realized how I think, and now I need to control that. Um, black and white thinking is, is a real problem um, when you start dealing with this sort of thing. Um, and we just started working on everything. Anything that came up, I wore the shoe. And... Some of it lasted for a week. Some of it lasted for a couple weeks. But in the end, it gave me the ability to um, to recognize different things as, you know, I was, basically, I was creating a lot of my own problems. Uh, it, it, I mean, that's just, you know, by the way I think and the way I would approach them and, and everything. So, um, yeah, and let off the gas pedal. That, that was one of the big problems. Yeah. And you know, just maybe you're nodding. Mm-hmm. And, Would and you I, like to? Well, we were talking the other night about intensity, and that that is that would be related to that. And what I needed was peace, and I needed to be able to breathe, and I needed to be able to start feeling safe again. And he was man, he was wanting to hit it hard. And you want? I mean, we would have been talking every day for five hours a day about all of our problems. And if if he had, at one point, if if he had had his way and I was the one that was just like nope no there's five former drinkers sitting around this table and I think the label of intensity would fit with every single one of us without question and so I think that's that's perspective is really interesting kind of back to what you were saying earlier Rochelle you're in wait and see mode and um you're married you're married to one of us one of us intense guys um who are like let me show you what I've done let me show you where I'm going. And um, just getting that space and time. I have a question for you related to that, David. You, 
being from a sobriety standpoint, a, a little bit newer into this than some of the people that you've hung out with this weekend, does it give you any consolation to hear this idea that just, you know, being in wait and see mode and this is going to take time. Do you feel any better about that than you did I mean, four hours ago? I don't think there's any way to feel good about that uh, <laughs> when you're sitting on this side of it because it's, it's really like, there's no way to do there, There's no way to do it faster. You just have to, and it's hard because it's like, it means I have to be consistent. It means I have to, it's not like I, like everything else in my life, I can just power through and make it happen and, and produce a result, you know, and that's, um, whatever I got to do, I'm just going to do it now and I'll get the result I want and then it's done and this is not that way. It's no, it's just gradually be slow and consistent and that's not really how my brain or my mind works, you know, I want to... Um, it's, it's, I guess it is the intensity thing. It's just not intense enough. It's not, it's like, how, I, how do I hang on to it so loosely, but let it be this major focus in my life, but there's really nothing to do except wait, you know, um, or I'm not going to see any results, especially coming from someone who's like instant gratification or at least instant results or some kind of, I do this and this happens type deal is how my brain works. And um, this is just not that way. It's, it's, I do this and I don't get the result. Um, but I might get it later. What does later mean? I don't know. Right. Just do it again. You know, and then the and Not often. But I would right. say as you do that, you'll start liking your own results for you. Right. Regardless yeah. of how she reacts. Yes. Right. You'll be right. like, oh, you'll be getting a result, did. but it might not be the result you're looking for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You may have to change your perspective a little. Yeah, and you know, we had talked about this early on when he had first gotten sober on a marriage call about, and all of the spouses were like, they wanted their spouse to be their cheerleader, and that is so hard on our side to do that. You know, yes, we're proud of you, but at the same time, you might gut punch us again. Right. Um, And it's terrifying, but you know, we're here. We're working on it. It's yeah, not like we're not here. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I told Matt one time. I was like, well, I'm still here. So, yeah. And I that's just saying, I mean, you may not like yeah. how I'm doing it. You may not like the results. It may, you know, but I'm here. And, and that's, that's what I can do right now. Yeah. It's hard because when any other situation in life, like your, your significant other, like that is your helper. That is your partner. That is your one person who it's like you can actually... Um, you know, show weakness to you and be vulnerable and do that, but not in this case. You know, you know, almost in this case, it's like, nope, you're not my helper. Nope, you're not my. Um, and it's it's just strange because it's this. This is like this one situation where that qualifies that that's acceptable. You know, it's it wouldn't really be acceptable in another situation like. Um, just because that's how spouses kind of are, you know, you're there to hold each other up, to support each other, to build each other up, to, to solve problems if, together. To If you your know. spouse supporting you and holding <clears throat> you up in that was the solution, you wouldn't be here because she would have already done that. that right. That's right. If I could have loved him enough to not be an alcoholic, we would never have got here. Right, right. And there's no way I can expect her, like, there's no way she could solve I don't even know that I can solve it. Right, right. right. So, Absolutely. so I certainly can't can't expect her to, to solve that. Right. But, 
Um, so we've kind of gotten to a point now we don't even really talk about the recovery piece. And I don't know if that's, it bothers me actually. And it's not that I need a cheerleader or that, but I would like, I just would like you to know what's going on, you know, with my emotions and my thoughts and, and kind of just, this is where I'm at in life right now. And so there's this lone, this lonesome, lonely element to it in the marriage. And so that's a fine line to walk too. Like, no, this is your separate recovery. And, and it's like, well, I, there's gotta be some sort of, um, a way to communicate it at least, even though you you don't have to do anything. You don't have to even, you know, support it, but just to, to, to be aware of what is happening in my life. Like that's the hard piece. And that's what, so our communication, right? Because it's all triggering. If I bring up anything about my recovery, it's just, it ends in an argument. Um, And it's, it's fair because I'm bringing up a bunch of traumatic shit that, you know, yeah, that we're not really in a place to deal with. And so, but the, the end result is it's lonely. It's I, a lonely existence right now. Well, and that's where the community comes in. Like, I had to get to the point, if Tom starts talking about something, I have to say, huh, can't. Like, you, you, you've got to go talk to someone else, whether that be your therapist, whether it be <clears throat> people you have connected to and shout, because I can't understand because I haven't had an addiction. Um... And I had to be safe enough to be able to say that without him getting angry, Mm -hmm. which he didn't, you know, he understood it. And I've also gotten better that I can't lay everything on him. Like, it's easier for me to, you know, text someone, oh, today was not such a good day, rather than to go, man, you were a real jerk today, you know, (laughs) because he can't also handle me coming at him Mm -hmm. all the time sometimes. But it is lonely at times, for sure. Even the... Whatever word Tom used that I don't think indifference. Yeah, yeah, I don't like that word. Um, the indifference is hard um, it because and it has to do with tone sometimes, you know. Because I agree, your spouse is someone you depend on and lean on, and then while your spouse is working on themselves and they keep going, I don't care, I don't care. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. That's like, why am I here? What? Well, you want me to be here, you know? <laughs> but that is just part of, the, and I have to be safe enough to say, you know, when you say it that way, I feel like you're shutting me out. And we, we should be able to say, support each other back and forth without fixing, you know? And I have had to learn to not say, Avia, why are you wearing those shoes in the snow? Um, I have had to learn to let Tom be Tom sometimes, like I said in the beginning, this little thing between me and Avia today. So, <laughs> um, well, he was out there helping me dig my car out. So yes. I was, I saw the shoes too. I was damn helpful. I was damn, uh, thankful he was wearing those shoes in the snow. I didn't want to wait for him to change into his boots. <laughs> Let's dig this thing out, Tommy. <laughs> I had to walk away and take a deep breath. I didn't buy the shoes. I didn't tell him what to wear. But those are the hard things. You want you, you get so good at seeing. Oh, don't do this. Go do this, you know, go do this, and you know, you'll be okay if you go do this, and we just can't do that, but sometimes, not, you know, those, but other little things gradually come back to lean on each other here and there, Um, and I am safe to have a meltdown and say, I can do nothing today, like I hate the world, I need you to go fix it all, and he can. 
you know, whatever fix it all looks like to me at that moment. I need him to ask me, well, what is that you want me to do? How do I fix it all right now? I don't know. Go buy me a chocolate eclair, you know, <laughs> whatever it is. But, you know, those that takes a while, too, to figure out how to support each other healthy. There's been of, so many years of that support system being broken down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like you can't expect it just right. to, to it be there. Right, it takes a while. Yeah. For sure. And then I think it happens on both sides because then it's like, you know, maybe I I did all of this stuff to break our trust. And then so now that trust is broken and you start responding to me in a different way. And then that experience has been going on for 10 years. So now I adapt to, the, you know what I mean? And it, and it builds and eventually we both just have these, it's like, it's almost it's a lot of the similar type traumas on both sides, and and I'll be the first to say I brought I brought it in. You know, I started it, but but it does go both ways, you know, because then then I don't feel safe, or I feel like I'm also, um, you know, all of the damage that and trauma that I've put on you, you know, you've just given it right back to me over time, and so it's. That's not a good feeling for me either. Right. No. I don't want to be that person. Right, like, but you have to respond. With the, you yeah. respond yeah. in a completely normal do. way. Yeah. To, I don't want to, to be angry and hurt and lonely but, and mad all the time. Yeah. Right. But that's where this broken trust has led the partnership. Yeah. And, and that's when you can't be the different. support because I think yeah. Alan yeah. used a great word, that partnership. It, it's not that you're dependent and you need each other. It's... You want to want to need each other and be in partnership. And, and that's where those individual recoveries and becoming stronger and independent. Then I'm like, I find it so great that Matt can go off and do things. He doesn't need to come and ask me permission or ask talk to me about it. He doesn't need my attaboys if he does something well anymore because he is so much stronger and independent. And it makes our relationship stronger and I'm more willing to give him the support and respect him a lot more. And I know that sounds really kind of counterintuitive, but I needed that space because that trust and safety was gone for so long. And I need to see that you can stand on your own two feet and be this strong, independent person and you weren't glomming on to me and needing me so much. So. And there's a sadness to that too, though, when you kind of walk away and say, you know what, I don't need your support. You know, I don't, and, and it's on both, like, the whole detachment piece and the whole, um, or even doing it on my own, there is that sad part well, where it's sure like, it you is. know what, yeah, something is dying here. Like, I don't need, need you. Yeah, and that's that where we had to, like, leave the relationship you we know? thought we were going to have. <clears throat> and I had to work through that, yeah. and even Matt had to work through that piece of grieving the relationship. And then it was a, a way to kind of, like, reform and restructure. Well, our yeah, new something that needs to die for something new to so grow. It's like, it's it's like a like, phoenix. Like, we had to get rid of that old relationship and build. Because we never had the relationship without alcohol in it. It was always... Same there was us. always arguments and bickering well before we were married. Like there were times where we were living together and I was like, why am I, why am I three states away from my family living with you right now? Like, I don't even understand why I'm here. We're just bickering and squabbling. Oh, but I love you. And we're going to go ahead and continue to, you know, get married. And we did. And I was like, but there were so many issues. So that had to grieve. And then we had to not kill that relationship. That's kind of a bad word, but that, relationship had to die and we had to 
become like new people. The dying and rebirth is a good analogy. I like to think of it because we're all intense. We already talked about that. I like to think of it. We're used to driving a speedboat, man. You can turn on a dime on those things. And now we're trying to turn an ocean-going vessel around in San Francisco Bay, right? And it's a, it takes a long time, and there's tugboats, and it all sucks. Rochelle, I want to follow up. You heard David use the word lonely. You also talked about how, and, and I've heard you use the word lonely throughout this weekend for how you feel. You also talked about how you don't want to be this way. Does being around people that are on the same path and they're just a couple miles further down the road, does that give you hope for the end of that loneliness? And how's um, that for putting you on the spot? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, it, do, it does give me hope just seeing people who have been in it longer longer than us that maybe something could change. Yeah. Yeah. It is hopeful. I wish everyone could see the, the hopeful smile on your face right now. That's great. I got a ton of hope. For both of you and everybody here. I've heard the words um, safety a couple of times. Brandy, you added to safety. You also said trust. I've got a question for you. Shifting gears just a little, same theme, but on to this idea of mutual respect. Have you noticed in your relationship, because you guys are uh, you're a little ways down the road now, has the, just the way you communicate with each other changed? Do you feel like there's... The respect level is different? Yes. I mean, we definitely still have our moments. Uh, but we're... We'll, instead of snapping, if we're frustrated, we'll try to take a minute and, you know, come back to it and then have a conversation about our feelings and why things bothered us instead of just unleashing. And that really helps a lot. Um we, when we sit down to talk, we're not trying to talk over each other. You know, he'll say how he felt or what bothered him, and then I'll get to say, you know, what I felt. And I think that respect to hear each other out, even if we don't agree with each other, like, that's huge. I wonder if it has anything to do with, we just talked a minute ago about there's that sadness of coming to the realization where it's like, I don't need you. But then, really, it's almost like a level of maturity because that turns into, but I want you. So right. I'm not looking. You don't need to meet my needs, right. but I'm choosing. And I could see the, mm -hmm. um, I think with us anyways, we get into arguments because a lot of times we look at each other like, this is a need that you need to meet. Or this mm -hmm. is, you're not meeting my needs. And then it's frustrating. Um, and I feel like maybe you guys have worked, the, yeah. gone past well, that of your... I think it's I because of the you. safety. So we, because we feel safe and we feel secure because of the time and the consistency, we can, we don't have to address this thing that's bothering us right now. We know we're going to keep pushing through. Tomorrow we'll have a chance to sit down and we'll really talk about it. And we can each really think about it. And, and have a real conversation then that's not just based on emotion because I'm extremely emotional and I'm really good at arguing when I'm emotional so we'll never solve anything in those moments like that will not happen um, so I think that's a lot of it is knowing we don't have to hash it out right now while we're emotional we can think about it sit on it and come back and address it with 
uh, just level-headedness. A big part of that self-esteem building that comes from the individual recovery piece, feeling better about yourself, means you can be in conversations with people, especially the most important people in your life, without being defensive about everything you hear. Josh, do you feel like that the work that you've done, uh, like you're hitting all these milestones, you're doing the thing you, the things you've got in mind, and yet, um, you know, you're still in kind of wait and see mode. Where, did that at least allow you to be a better listener as opposed to a reactor? Oh, I think so, definitely. Yeah, I think, I think where I am now, which is probably going to scare David a little bit with where he is, but like I think it took us to the time to work on ourselves and get to a point to where we can kind of co-mingle again as a marriage. And then like what I battle with now in my mind is like, I feel a sense of security between us, but like I struggle with in my mind, like I've, I've been so hyper-focused on working on myself and being, being the person that I need to be for our relationship that I worry about. Like, I just don't want to get complacent in that. And I know that, to continue to have a prosperous marriage in the future, we're going to have to continue to work no matter what. I mean, it's just, it's a never-ending process. Intensity. 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 Yeah. (laughs) It's just, I struggle myself because I'm always very fearful of getting too complacent in a certain situation. And I, I just, I want to make sure I'm doing the right things to continue to move forward no matter what that looks like, you know, in a good way. But. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Alan? Kind of similar question. I know um, you and I have had lots of conversations about communication and the importance of communication. Um, do you do you feel like uh, do you feel like you're waiting for something, or do you feel like you've uh, grown in your listening skills as opposed to problem solving? Us intense guys and. Um, how does that how does that feel just from your side of the relationship? <clears throat> how much time we got? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think there's, I, I think in any marital relationship, you want you 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 want to some degree expect a response um, on a lot of different things, but when you don't get a response, that then you start to, or at least I did, and still do. I start to question why I'm not getting a response, you know. And then my brain starts to extrapolate, you know, go down the negative hole as to why that might be. Um, and it's it's exhausting. And so it just goes back to the individual piece where... You just have to be. You just have to be okay with it. I mean, I can't control. I can't open her mouth for her. Um, I can't make her tell me something, whether it's something I want to hear or something I don't want to hear. You know, I do think there's a very frustrating part piece of it that when you hear nothing, um, that's more frustrating than if you were screaming and hollering. If somebody's screaming and hollering, you know what they're pissed off about. But when you hear nothing. All you're doing is guessing, and most of the time we're guessing wrong. Um, so that's that would be the frustrating part for me. Um, but 
but I I just just deal with it. I, I don't know. It, it's it's not a uh, I haven't figured that out. We talk a lot, Avia, about you know the the term you know when you know related to multiple things. Are when you are one of the people that use the word safety, and we've talked about laying good good experiences over the troubling ones from the past. Are you just like waiting to feel more safe? Like, is that what communication hinges on for you? That feeling of safety and growing into it over time? Definitely. And um, Alan, he's gotten a lot better about, um, we have gotten a lot better about creating a safe space. Um, I think it's the ebbs and the flows that are hard. So there'll be a time, you know, a parenthesis of time where that feels really good. And then parenthesis of the time where it goes back to Mm -hmm. where it does not feel safe anymore, where it kind of feels like I'm walking on eggshells and, you know, if I say the wrong thing, it's going to turn into who knows what, and, and then we'll kind of go back into this good spot again. And so it's this back, and that's that's the hard part because it's it's unpredictable. The consistency isn't there. Yeah. Even with long term recovery, Sherry, I think Mindy alluded to it. You didn't use these words, but you talked about how at 18 months it got real bad for a little bit. We've talked about that as emotional relapses. Mm-hmm. Does that relate, first of all, do those come out of the blue when they happen? And does that kind of kick you back into unsafe mode and, and uh, you know, those feelings from the past? Lack of trust, lack of safety? Well, I related to what Josh was saying about becoming complacent. Because sometimes that has happened in our relationship where we've gotten too busy to, like, con- you know, connect or talk or keep up. And, and I'm like, or I don't really understand, like, why maybe I'm anxious. And it has nothing to do with Matt. But I'm not communicating with him. So then he's, you know, thinking everything is fine and okay. And then jokes and has a sarcastic comment. And I lose my mind because I'm like, that's rude and awful. And, you know, so I feel like looking back afterwards, we understand that we have become complacent. So it wasn't necessarily out of the blue. But we aren't keeping working on it. We aren't keeping track of making sure we're in communication and I'm being open and and I'm letting you know, and I'm like, you know, sometimes you're like, oh, well, that was kind of a shitty thing to say, or I didn't like the way you said that, Matt. But then I'm like, do I say anything? Because then I just feel like I'm just picking on you sometimes. And then I'll, like, push it down because, you know, I like to stuff my feelings. So it's never really out of the blue, but you never know it's it's not coming, you know? Yeah. Like, I think we've gotten complacent sometimes, and we haven't been communicating, and that's when we'll have an emotional relapse. Tom, do you want to expound on that? You're well, right, your head awful hard. Right there when she said communication. I know exactly what Mindy was talking about about 18 months ago. And I can promise you guys here and her and anyone listening, it could have been alleviated. There was some concern, anxiety on my part going in to meet her family for a reunion after they knew how much of a jerk-off I could have been to her. And I was worried about it. And had I just talked to her about what I was feeling um, and giving her a chance to say, you're way out of line, you're overreacting, or I hear you, and we'll get through this together. It went back to sophomore childish behavior on my part because I didn't didn't say a thing. I didn't say anything about it. And it probably blindsided Mindy. He's like, whoa, and now... I was definitely blindsided. And I promise you, it could have been, had we had a conversation... And it was like, Alan's, but had we at least, had I at least said something to her, she would have at least known where I was coming from. 
Now, at the same time, if Mindy doesn't say anything, you know, so deal with it. Uh, and, you know, that's not, right. that's not strong mm-hmm. communication. But that's what was and lacking. And he had already decided mm-hmm. in his head, mm-hmm. it didn't matter what I said. He had the answer. If he came to me, my answer was going to be this. And I never even got a chance to speak. And, you know, it was the, well, no, you would have never accepted that. No, you would have not. And it's like, well, I didn't even get a chance, <laughs> you know. Um, and it did blindside me because we do talk all the time. So when it all started erupting, I was like, what is happening? It, I mean, and I was not in a situation where I could even have a conversation with him. We weren't, we had people around us. It's like, oh my gosh, I have to go back to smile, you know. Mm-hmm. everything's fine you know but once I found a place to be alone and got on the phone and talked it out with a friend then I was like okay we gotta sort this one out in the morning so Sherry, so Sherry could have been avoided so like today was when so I'm thinking here I am we're driving across the country for your family for your reunion I'm the I'm, there's an 800 pound elephant in the room and that's me and, and then had we just talked about it that could have been avoided, and same with her thinking, I got here. We are again the same routine where I got to put on this fake Mindy, mm-hmm. so no one knows what's going on because his whatever you want to call it that that's going on his his issues, his insecurity, and it could have. We've got thirteen hour drive. We could have talked about it at any point. <laughs> Well, we had company in the car. <laughs> Either we way, talk about it. <laughs> we could have at some point said, "Hey, here's what I'm thinking. I'm going to be. I'm going to be walking into this thing. I'm going to be walking into a hornet's nest, and your family, all eyes on me." And then, you know, the well, the, the other part was, you know, I get half blindsided because we get there, and so here we are. We've been together for we're going to so we're going to be going into thirty years, and she doesn't have her wedding ring on. So I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> So were you looking to hook up that night? <laughs> <laughs> At a family reunion, gross. <laughs> <laughs> that is really gross. Yeah, I'm gonna share again with that one. I have a habit of losing things, and we went through stress years ago where I thought I left my wedding ring in a hotel, and everyone had to go, or at a at a family reunion, everyone had to tear through the trash. Everyone was stressed the whole entire time, and we get home, and we finally dump out absolutely every piece of everything I took to St. Louis, and we find the ring. So, as we get ready to leave, I put the wedding ring away, because I know we're going to be in a river, we're going to be in a strange place, I'm going to be out of my routine, and I'm like, the last thing we need is for me to lose the wedding ring on this vacation. I didn't tell him that, but never, because, you know, I didn't wear my ring for a while, Sherry, I told you I felt like a handcuff or something. Yeah. And, but I was back to wearing it. But when I started wearing it, because I had to get it resized, I got indifference. I got, I don't care if you wear it or not. So when I didn't have it on and he suddenly had a meltdown, I'm like, what is happening here? You know, no, I didn't communicate. I wasn't going to wear the ring. I didn't even know he cared. <laughs> but the total key is I did communicate. I didn't communicate. I'm walking into this. I, I hate, I don't know. I was anxious going into it because we're family. Knowing what had happened between Mindy and I, and then well, I didn't communicate to them. I'm, like, I'm not going to wear it. So again, two people not talking, and then there's problems. And thank goodness that there wasn't alcohol involved. But 
so you get far enough along where alcohol is no longer the issue, but you still can have issues. A, a landmine that comes in that no one sees, and like, oh, now we're dealing with this. Well, you're saying the problem was like you didn't communicate, and and that I, I believe you 100. percent And I think we're with the situation that Rochelle and I are, and it's almost like not communicating seems like the solution. I'm doing air quotes um, because we get so defensive if we try to talk. And it's on both sides. I think you are equally as bad as I am at, at controlling the defensiveness. And it's like if, if one of us tries to bring something up and say, you know what, when you did that, I felt, you know, this is how it made me feel. Well, you know, and then it just immediately turns in regardless of which way it's coming from. And so, like, not communicating has become the solution. I think that feeds into the loneliness because it's like when you don't talk about anything like other than you know did you feed the dog today did you you know it's th- just things that need to be communicated in order to manage well the not communicating <clears throat> with Mindy and I initially was the sobriety was so important and if I was going to have issues as it related to uh, how I can get through this weekend work function where alcohol is a part of it I can reach out to, to Josh about mm-hmm. it. And there's a million texts going on between Josh and I after we met last year. I, I don't need to go to Mindy Did for you guys- that piece of communication. But when it comes to important things, kids, or, or, or what we're going to do, mm-hmm. how we're going to work on think that communication piece was important. But how I'm going to figure out the sobriety thing, um, she... She probably got tired of hearing, oh, another one. Yeah, I agree with the sobriety thing, but I'm even thinking about things like sex. Like, I'm, like, uh, obviously, if we're going to talk, we're going to talk about that. She's an equal partner in this, right? You know, and so we have to be able to communicate about these things. Because it's not like me and Tom are going to solve all of you know, Tom don't talk about sex. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like her... her Y'all can just set up a group. She's got a valid 50%. Lively. You know, I think a lot, a lot of it for me is you are so intense that I just shut down. Well, my class, I was just curious if the defensiveness was a problem for anyone else. Oh, or if not? you did yes. something yes. to no, try no. to, was to, try to cure that. I didn't want to talk about anything. Yeah. I didn't... Because... Then I would always like he would say, "Oh, I'm feeling this way." Well, really, because I can tell you the million ways I've felt this way. So there was never anything he was going to say that I was going to give him any leeway on. Right. So how? And I was real angry, and then it started to be that feeling. But also, I kind of and it's not that I wanted to punish him. I wanted to see him actually sit with his feelings a little bit. I wanted him to have to feel them mm-hmm. instead of drink them away yeah. or busy them away. He's also kind of a workaholic, so he can busy himself away, and his brain is always spinning and going. So I know there wasn't a lot of escape in it, but I needed to like just kind of see him break that down. So when we would have those discussions, and he would start to tell me how he's feeling, because, again, we did everything kind of wrong, and then I'd be like, well, uh, well I felt it this way, or you did this. And then it would be like we'd go to our separate corners because the bell would ding and we would like take a break. And then I would like kind of see if he's going to come back and try to talk to about it again. But then I realized he, after a while, he was starting to kind of process it as the alcohol and the addictions and all of his side addictions were kind of leaving his body. The things that was making him happy, you know, that he had to kind of learn to balance his brain out and that brain chemistry needed to kind of equal out a little bit because there is that 
kind of like that monkey brain or reptilian brain of survival that you still had, that you were still kind of in hyper active mode and always thinking. But I had to like, then I had to like kind of calm myself down because I realized, oh, well, I've been affected by the alcohol too because this isn't who I am. I mean, yeah, I'm kind of intense and over the top and easily angered and feisty. Different kind of nice. A different kind of nice. (laughs) But I certainly am not an angry, volatile person all the time. Mm-hmm. So I had to, so I needed to like not talk about anything because I'm a really good stuffer down of feelings and then I could slowly let it like a balloon, let it leak mm-hmm. out a little bit, but there had to be results. I had to take a break. I had to have peace. I had to have, you know, some time away from talking about the alcohol and the problems. And, and then I realized I was getting mad too, because sobriety for Matt was as selfish as the addiction was. And that infuriated me. Here I've been, you know, behind alcohol, and now I'm behind sobriety. And we can't talk about me now? Because I had unloaded on our my 40th birthday. We have so many problems besides the alcohol. I said it thir- almost 13 years ago now. Like, and And then it was like, oh, but I had to be... Like, okay, was giving him that space of being selfish in sobriety. But I was seeing differences this time around. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it was lonely, but he needed to work out, like, how to sit with those feelings. And I had already busied myself with my own, you know, people and my kids. And so I'm sure that made him feel extra, extra lonely. But I had already been living in a place of lonely. And, and it wasn't that I was trying to intentionally be, be vindictive. It just was like... You have to learn how to deal with these feelings instead of coming and running to me for sex or alcohol. <clears throat> Anything that, like, you know, mm-hmm. makes you happy. So, like, sex on the table and first year of sobriety, it was like, oh. Could sex talk on about, the table to talk about? I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> sex on the table. Well, we can do sex on the table. Either one. But, no. Because yeah. I'm not No, like, either. talking about sex. Like, I'm like, no, I can't even think about being romantic with you. Like, because you're not even like someone I even like. I mean, I love you, but I don't like you. I was going to say the writing prompts and echoes in the very beginning. I I think that helped me so much. Listening to what everyone wrote and then writing my own, whether I read it or not. Um, I don't journal anymore. I only did during crisis mode because I had to get all that out of my head. Like, all the horrible things that were going through my head. But, um, and there were Wednesday nights. I was like, oh my gosh, I don't want to do this tonight. And then, you know, I get downstairs at night and be like, oh, my God, that was such a great call, you know. And some nights it's heavy, you know, when people are really going through it. And even checking on the Facebook group, like, I just have to check in sometimes. Like, it's a reality check for me. Like, oh, my gosh, this, like, world really is still happening out there, you know. And, and I had to not go running downstairs to Tom when we, he was back in the house and go, oh, my God, you will never believe. Like, because that's not his recovery, you know. Mm-hmm. I can say, ooh, it was a heavy night tonight. You know, we can share tidbits, but we, we had to keep shout and echoes separate to an extent as well, because otherwise, I, I remember thinking, um, this is kind of mine. I mean, I'm glad you went to shout because I did want you to, but like, I don't want you to mess up my echoes thing because mm-hmm. like, this is my thing. Um, 
But it, the writings and listening to the writings, boy, you get some people that write so amazing. Uh, you're one of them. Oh, no. Yes, no. I'm curious how you respond to that, though, Matt, because you are, like, involved in both. Right? Yeah. You are right there at Echoes and right there in Shell. So they're not really separated with you and Sherry. So in terms of what, what's your opinion on like keeping it sort of separated for, in, with couples? You seem to be managing it um, with Sherry quite well. Keeping the things I hear separated? Well, um, your recoveries. Your, your recoveries. Oh, yeah. Uh you know, it's it's funny, we, and we've talked about, Sherry and I talk often about the fact that we're supposed to be the moderator of these groups, and I think I'm getting more out of this than anybody else is, because the value of being on those calls is hearing other people say the exact same thing I've heard my wife say, and for so long, I thought she was just nutbag crazy, or, yeah. or she was... Uh, you know, a little more cold-hearted than someone else. Or I thought that her father's alcoholism when she was growing up made her a certain, you know, unnatural, broken way. And then I hear 15 other people in the same situation say the same thing she did, and I go, uh-oh, I either got to learn yeah. to deal with that because it's normal, yeah, or I got to fix me some more, or I got to get out of this relationship because she's not... You know, any more broken than anybody else is. Yeah. She's having a natural reaction to a traumatic experience. So it's, it's. I mean, it's been nothing short of life changing to see all the different perspectives, and that's why, um, you know, we we do believe in the importance of the individual recovery piece. So that's why the programs are separate. But then we have something like what we're doing here. Well, also like the once a month we get together with. So there's got to be some balance. And that's where I was getting at where it's like it's not 100% separate. Like there are separate recoveries, but there's some sort of sharing going on. And I think that's to like unite and bond and see those universalisms and to see the Mm -hmm. other side. And then you can have that respect because... You know, I, like Mindy had mentioned earlier, she didn't have an addiction, and so she doesn't know how that is. But I've heard Matt say it, but when I hear every, you know, all the other people say it and how it's affecting them, it just gives me a lot more compassion and empathy. And I think that having the uh, marriage evolution, that's how this kind of started, was like, yeah, there are certain steps you need to take, but we also need to make sure that everybody's here on the other side. And Mm -hmm. it's not just from your spouse or your partner. And so it gives you a lot more compassion and empathy for the other side of it. And I mean, I know there are little individual situations um, that are different in each of the relationships. But then I love going on those once a month calls on Monday night where maybe somebody has, you know, divorce. Or we have had many spouses who have succumbed to the addiction and they have passed away. And... Their perspectives are so valuable, and we just sometimes I just think, oh my god, how lucky I am! Like when last year when we met Josh and Brandy, I was like, oh my gosh, they're such a great couple, and I really hope they make it. And it just like, you know, and then I think, oh wow, then we met somebody that you know has lost their spouse. I'm like, I am so glad to see you sitting here, second, you know, retreat, and here you are, and we know somebody who's lost their partner that they were still married to this year. So it's heartbreaking 
to know the different avenues it can take. So I think the unification of bringing it together gives you a lot more compassion. And I think it gives each of us like individual energy to keep working harder in our own relationships because we don't want to see a tragedy you know, within ourselves, you know, in our own relationships. So I just feel like for us, like the unified calls and the, and the marriage evolution calls that we do once a month are just what has kept me motivated in a lot of ways, making sure that each of you guys that participate, you know, stay, stay active and focused and engaged and giving as much support as we can. And it helps Matt and I's relationship immensely because sometimes you guys bring up things that we never even have thought about because it hasn't happened to us. Doesn't mean it's not going to. An emotional relapse can happen, you know, a lot of times. Like if you get complacent. Yeah. And it keeps us engaged. And even though addiction isn't there, it keeps us working on the relationship. And I see so many relationships where addiction hasn't happened. And I kind of feel sad for my couple friends that don't have these great relationships where they just nag about their partner. And I'm like, you could do so much better because you could work together and you just don't see it. But you haven't had a tragedy that's pushed you forward to, to make that change. So I applaud each of you that are here. I was even going to say about Echoes, sometimes it's a celebration when somebody gets a job. Mm-hmm. Um, lifting up another woman or even a man, if it's a man in there, we just don't have that many. You know, when somebody puts that one foot in front of the other one day. And it has nothing to do with the alcohol, but it has to do with them becoming an individual person. Watching somebody in Echoes do that, when they finally get brave enough to believe in themselves, not because they're leaving, you know, and the ones that do have to leave, watching them grow and knowing they're getting to live a full life because we've been all there sharing our stories and saying, hey, it's okay, you know, none of us have the answer and it's okay if things didn't work out. Um, but it's fun. It's so fulfilling to watch people in the group find who they are in a healthy way and learn who they are. And Mm -hmm. I I just can't imagine not being in it. And it took this, (laughs) you know, to do it. So yeah, I don't know. It's a strange world. (laughs) We couldn't imagine you not being a part of it. I think you all, um, deserve a ton of credit We've done a lot of roundtables, and we've done a number of retreats. I can't, I've just been sitting back listening. I can't remember one where we actually had couples in the room, and we talked about conflict. This wasn't all just, oh, yeah, I had to do my own thing, and he had to do his own thing, and then we grew together. Like, there, like you guys got, you rolled up your sleeves and really talked about the hard, hard stuff. And I'm sure, um, as listeners, I'm sure it was emotional and I'm, I'm going to pick on you, Tom and Mindy, but when you talked about uh, you taking your wedding ring off, Mindy, I'm sure people are listening thinking, yeah, she didn't want to drop it in the river and have this huge problem. And then I'm thinking, I'm sure people are listening to you, Tom, and thinking, yeah, he's he's terrified to go into this family situation. Like, like you said, the 800-pound elephant, and his wife takes her wedding ring off. Like both of you. Um that would be a terribly uh, traumatic situation. I was very confident in my family loving him, and they loved him 100% when he walked in the room with open arms. There was no 800-pound elephant in the room the split second they saw him. That's great. Mm -hmm. Well, we sure love you. We love all of you. 
Um, thank you guys for being so real on this episode. Now, uh, next item, next agenda item, we've got a hot tub waiting for us. And Alan surely has uh, another set to give us on the mortuary story. So, do it tonight. I got it. It's our last night. Let's get you all polished up and ready to hit the road. Thank you all for doing this with us. Thank you. Thank you. Before you go, we hope you'll consider these three resources. If you love or loved an alcoholic, we offer support and connection in our Echoes of Recovery group. Check us out at echoesofrecovery.org. If you are a high-functioning alcoholic seeking methods and connection in early sobriety, we're ready for you at shoutsobriety.org. No matter who you are, there's something for you in our book, Sober Evolution, Evolve into Sobriety and Recover Your Alcoholic Marriage. Go to soberevolution.org. For my wife, Sherry Salis, I'm Matt Salis. Thanks for listening to the Untoxicated Podcast.